Well, I know you already greeted Jim this morning because I heard it, but I got to get a greeting as well. So good morning. It's good to see you all here this morning. As we pray, I hope your heart is prepared to receive the word. Through my prayer, I already sort of greeted those who might be joining us online, but I just want to say praise God that you've joined us online. I pray that God does a work of grace in your heart as you listen to the word this morning, as you study with us. Those who are listening on the radio, I pray that, you, that God would do his work of grace in your heart as well this morning. Whether you're visiting with us this morning or you're a regular attender, please know that we are thrilled that you've joined us for worship this morning. Um, thank you for coming, hearing God's word, obeying God, and coming to church this morning. It is great to see you. I would like to invite all of you this morning to take your Bibles, your devices, it's even on your handout there on the back. Would you go with me to Romans 1? We're going to jump right into this today to continue our journey through the book of Romans. If you're new with us this morning, uh, we're just taking this wonderful book from God, God's Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, penned by Tertius, and that is in our hands now, preserved by an almighty God. This morning, we have the wonderful blessing and privilege of studying this word, and we will be in verse 18 today. One verse. I'm going to tell you as I interacted with this verse this week and I wanted to kind of push the limits and keep going. I don't think God would let me because of the magnitude of the verse that we're going to study today. We've worked through the introduction of this wonderful letter. If you turn your hand out over, you kind of see a, a brief outline of what we've been working through. You can kind of see in verses 1 through 17 a, a wonderful introduction to this book. We find more about the Apostle Paul, who God used to write this book. We find more about the Church of Rome, the recipients of this book. And then we find some wonderful truths about two key themes. And here are these themes. The righteousness of an almighty God and the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And so every week we kind of preface what we're about to talk, to talk about with this question. Here it is. How can... Amen. How can a righteous God... And by the way, that phrase right there is what we're studying this morning. A righteous God. How can a righteous God make an unrighteous person righteous and do it in a righteous way? What? How can a righteous God take an unrighteous person and make them righteous in God's eyes, but do it in a way that is according to His standard of holiness? And the only answer, the only one, is the glorious gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Any other cult, any other modern cult or world religion will tell you there might be multiple ways to answer this question, but from the Bible, the Word of God, we find that there's only one adequate answer. 
And that is the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So last week we interacted with Romans 1, 16 and 17, when Paul boldly claims what many consider as the theme verses of the book of Romans. This is the heartbeat of the book of Romans. Here it is. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. I pray that God has reviewed those verses in your mind over and over again this week. I'm going to tell you what I haven't been able to get out of my mind this week. Let the lion of the gospel out. I don't know if you've thought about that this week, but I at the soccer field, at the stores, in my car, as I interact with people in this community, it's impressed on my heart. Andrew, let the lion of the gospel out. Share Jesus confidently. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God. Well, now as we see this statement, the righteousness of God is revealed from heaven, from faith, for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith, we now will jump into what seems to be the first major argument of the Apostle Paul in this book. If you look at the outline on the back, you'll see that this major argument runs from verse 18 of chapter 1 all the way to chapter 3, verse 20. It's a great discussion. In this discussion, though, we find the necessity of the gospel. Okay, this is all good, Pastor Andrew. You've gotten up there and you've talked about the gospel of Jesus Christ being the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. But why in the world do I need that? Why is this gospel even necessary? And it is almost like Paul, and it is. Through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it says, okay, we're going to start with that elephant in the room. We're going to answer that question first, so hold on, here it comes. If for some reason you think you don't need the gospel, let me take that argument and explode it. And so what does he do systematically for the next two and a half chapters? The Apostle Paul shares this, for all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. How does he do that? Well, you can see on that outline... First of all, he addresses the primary audience of this letter, the Gentiles, his pagans, who've come to Jesus Christ by faith, and he says to them, and if you're mistaken and think that Gentiles don't need to come to Jesus, let me remind you that every single Gentile ever born into the human race is a sinner. Now that's what we're going to look at for the next three weeks. Then we're going to move into this other section, because as the Apostle Paul is, is, is and you can put yourselves in, in the reading room of this, all right? So it's, we're the Church of Rome, and this is being read to us, and Paul reads verses one, chapter 1 to 3, and he gets to the end of chapter 1, and all the Jews are sitting there sort of smugly like, yeah, there you go, Gentiles. You're sinners. And then we get into chapter 2, and then all of a sudden, all of these Jews start sliding down in their chairs. Because you know who Paul goes to through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit now. 
As all of these smug, self-righteous Jews that think for some reason, because of their ethnicity, they kind of are a little more safe. They don't have to interact with the holiness and wrath of God because Abraham was our father. And Paul loads his shotgun, his machine gun, as it were, and just starts unloading. You need the gospel. And then for some reason, I don't know, maybe you don't think you're a pagan Gentile or you don't think you're a self-righteous Jew. I don't, maybe you think you're an alien of some sort. I don't know. Because everyone is either a Jew or a Gentile. In chapter 3, he very clearly says, okay, Jews, Gentiles, the whole world stands as enemies of a holy God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So, are you ready for this? I'm going to tell you, practically, if you just think with me about, about this, why, why do we need the gospel? I mean, what is the gospel? It is the good news if we talked about it. We need the good news because there is and there exists what? Bad news. So very practically, the biblical truth is we cannot truly embrace the good news until we've interacted with the bad news. Until we really dig in and find out that we are sinners. This bad news is, just not, is not just for someone or anyone of their choosing. It is for everyone. Romans 1.18 launches this discussion. And for that reason, we are going to remain in this one verse today. However, think about this practically. Here, today, now. You are at Cross Point Community Church worshiping God today. <laughs> Corporately. This is an overflow of what God's been doing in your heart all week long. We pray that way anyways. But I'm going to tell you, what we're about to talk about today is not the most popular information on the block. I mean, quite honestly, we want to ignore this stuff. When we get to Romans 1.18, it's like, oh, just read that quickly, Pastor. Can't you just include chapters 1 to 3 and just do it in like 15 minutes? We don't want to come to church and hear about any bad news. Why? Quite honestly, it just makes us feel badly. I don't want to feel nasty. We just want to have our souls blessed and our hearts encouraged and our ears tickled. We just want to get some sort of, honestly, I mean, the common way of our natural heart is to want to just get some kind of Jesus high by going to church. Feel good about Jesus. I'm going to go home, live for Jesus all week. I get to hang out with Jesus people and hear from the Jesus book, and we'll be good. We want to get some kind of Jesus high that leaves us on this euphoric atmosphere until next Sunday when we can get more of a Jesus high. Sadly, this is a reason, the reason many preachers get the gospel wrong. They are tempted every single Sunday to ignore the bad news at worst and at best, like tippy-toe around it. I almost went to tears this week when I was reminded and I read an interview that happened 15, 
uh, 17 years ago almost now. It was a popular name in contemporary church. A fellow by the name of Joel Osteen. I read through the the saddening account as he was interviewed by Larry King on Larry King Live and he was asked about sin and sinners and he tippy-toed around this. And I almost went to tears thinking, dude, you just missed the heart of the gospel. As, as much as I can appreciate his, his, in, his, really, his encouragement to smile a lot and be happy, that's great. That's wonderful. But brother, you cannot miss the heart of the gospel that people are standing as an offense to a holy God. We must get this right. The biblical fact is that we must truly understand the bad news before we can truly embrace the good news. Friends, the biblical fact is we cannot be truly saved until we understand the bad news that we are sinners. The biblical fact is the bad news is part of our story. You can't erase this part of your story. The bad news is part of your story. The bad news is part of my story. The bad news is part of all of our stories. The biblical fact is God is a God who must deal with unrighteousness and all human beings born into the human race are unrighteous. The biblical fact is we need the gospel because Romans 1.18 is in the B-I-B-L-E. You cannot erase Romans 1.18. And what does Romans 1.18 say? Would you look with me at this powerful verse right now? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So one verse today. Because this needs to be impeccably clear in our minds as we work through the rest of the book of Romans. We cannot skip chapters 1, 2, and 3. We must dig into this, and there's young ones here too, and parents, you might be tempted to kind of nuzzle over closer to your kids and kind of block their ears a little bit the next couple of weeks. No, they need to interact with this truth. That they stand as an affront, an offense, and as enemies of a holy God. This is the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, we're going to take this one verse and simply look at two portions of this verse. We're going to highlight, first of all, one aspect of this, and that is a righteous God condemns. As tough as this is for us to interact with, we need to acknowledge the fact that the wrath of God is real. And then we'll take the remainder of our time today, and we'll look at who this is targeted to, all unrighteous truth suppressors. And this will lead us into the next couple weeks of studies as we really identify what this truth suppressing is talking about. Let's start with the first one, though. A righteous God condemns all unrighteous truth suppressors. A righteous God condemns. 
First part of verse one of 18 of chapter 1 says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Okay, so obviously this is not good news. Although in our soft, posh, politically correct, religiously inclusive culture, it's not popular to talk about the wrath of God, we must keenly and ardently embrace the fact that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. And when we talk about the wrath of God, we are talking about this. If I could be very crystal clear on this, we are talking about God's holy outrage against sin. As one lexicon so adequately states this word, divine, this is God's divine indignation directed at injustice, cruelty, and corruption. We need to acknowledge that this is not some reactionary flare-up anger from God. This is not some temper outburst. This is not some God in the heavens who gets angry and flashes down lightning bolts on His creation. That is not this. This is a methodical, calculated response of indignation against those created in God's image who have rebelled against His good and gracious plan and ignored His revealed truth. Eleven times in the book of Romans, you interact with the concept of the wrath of God, or wrath. These eleven times prove to us that yes, God's righteousness is revealed in saving, but before we can interact with God's righteousness revealed in saving, we must interact with God's righteousness revealed in His wrath in judging. We cannot have the glory of the good news until we have the tragedy of the bad news. When we think about the wrath of God, we must realize, and we think about the nature of our great God, we must realize that God's holy wrath is inseparably connected to His holiness and His justice. This is who God is. God's holiness is the biblical fact that God is completely distinct from His creations. He is completely separated from sin, but that is not all of the holiness of God in explanation. God is completely separated from sin, but He is completely separated to His own righteousness. He is distinct. We say this over and over again, God is God and we are not. When we think about the righteousness, the righteous holiness of God, we must go to passages in our minds like the one that Jim started the service off with this morning. When Isaiah, having woed everyone in Israel, woe is this person, this group of people, and woe is this group of people, and woe is this group of people, and when he interacted with the almighty holiness of God, what did he say? Woe is me! I am undone. The holiness of God is revealed by the seraphim in heaven who loudly proclaimed or confidently proclaimed this, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Would you do something with me? In your minds, think of this verse as we travel into the rest of chapter 1 next week. The whole earth is full of His glory. 
God's wrath and God's holiness are inseparable from God's divine justice. What do we mean by that? God is the perfect judge. This God who is the perfect judge must deal with sin. And what is his standard of justice and dealing with sin? I'm going to tell you, it's not you. It's not me. It's not the guru of our choice. The religious leader of our choice telling us what sin is and what sin is not. God's standard of justice and fairness is His own self. His divine nature. How He has revealed Himself to us through His holy word. You want to know what sin is? Read the Bible. We must first realize that if God, and this is very important for us to realize, if God were to ignore sin, He could not be considered a good judge. A perfect judge. God Almighty and His holiness cannot ignore sin. And we need to get that in our minds. How many people have been interviewed and talked about, oh, that's a good God. How could He do that? Well, actually, as you interact with the God of the Bible, you realize there's no way God couldn't judge and still be holy. He's a holy God. You cannot disarm Him of His very own nature. Every single way he ever deals with sin is completely fair. You must understand that. Why? Because God is God and we are not. God is not who we want him to be. God is who he says he is. Amen, Brother Dave? So how does God express His righteousness and His holiness and His justice? How does He express all of this? Here's how He expresses it and is expressing it right now, as we'll look at in this verse. In certain ways, God is expressing His righteousness and holiness right now through His divine wrath. And how do we find that? This verse talking about the wrath of God, the primary verb here is revealed. The wrath of God is revealed. However, this word is revealed is a present passive indicative, which means God is doing this to some extent right now. We're going to find that in the rest of chapter 1. What does it mean to reveal? It's the same word as we found in verse 17. The righteousness of God is revealed. Now in chapter, in verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed. What is this being revealed? It is to expose. It is to disclose. It is bring to light. When we think about this present aspect of the wrath of God, because this is what happens in our minds. Sometimes we think the wrath of God, okay. And there is evidence to this, the storing up of the wrath of God to the end. But the fact of the matter, the wrath of God is not just going to show up at the consummation of all times at the end. God's wrath is actually in some expressions being revealed right here, right now, in the world we live in today. So the wrath of God is being revealed. When we think of God's wrath as described in scriptures, we want to remember 
that there truly are various expressions of God's wrath. Obviously, through the Scripture, we are anticipating the full expression of God's eternal wrath at the end. But God's wrath has been expressed in the past and is being expressed in the present. What am I talking about? Well, if you open your Bibles and you read through different expressions of God's wrath in the past, namely something like how He handled Sodom and Gomorrah, an expression of God's wrath. As you go through the Scriptures, you see various expressions of God's wrath. However, also in the Scriptures, we find that God, and please catch this, God is inclined to allow His wrath to be seen as He releases His hand of restraint and allows the depravity of sin and a broken world to further self-destruct. How do we see the wrath of God in the world we live in right now? Turn on the news, if you dare. We're living in a world that is self-destructing because of their offense against a holy God. This restraint, as it were, in God Almighty, allowing. I mean, some people call it this passive wrath of God. I would rather term it the wrath of God's abandonment. This holy God as adequately described in the rest of chapter 1, so don't miss the next couple weeks, he turns them over to a depraved mind. I mean, honestly, as we go through the rest of chapter 1 in the next couple weeks, it's almost like what was written in the first century is happening right here, right now. You're looking at this stuff and you're like, no way! Just wait. If you want a sneak peek, start reading through the rest of chapter 1 and your jaw will hit the ground. The wrath of God's, the the passive wrath of God, God's wrath of abandonment, letting man self-destruct. So what is this chapter 1 verse 18 first phrase? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Simply this, God is not okay with sin. (laughs) I I don't know how you could say it any more clearly. The God of the Bible is not okay with rebellion against Him and His nature and His plan. And to some degree, He is judging the world right now. Quickly notice one last phrase that I I really want to highlight here because I think this truly does take us back into Isaiah 6 again. There's a lot of similarities in, in my mind from what's happening in Romans 1 to what's happening in Isaiah 6. And here's what it says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Very intentional wording. Simply enough, I believe this is an indication of God's present sovereignty as relating to His governing direction from the throne room of heaven. Simply this, in the world we live in right now, how many of you are stepping back saying, God, why don't you do something? God, what are you doing? Well, here's the assurance, my brothers and sisters in Christ, that God hasn't checked out. God is still God. And He is ruling from His throne room right now. This is the God we serve. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. Now let's look at the second part of this equation. 
against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. A righteous God condemns, and who does He condemn? All unrighteous truth suppressors. And who are all unrighteous truth suppressors? Everyone. Clearly, God's wrath is revealed against all unrighteous truth suppressors as revealed in this phrase, all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Ungodliness is a lack of reverence and devotion to the one true God. In essence, it is a misguided worship. We're going to see that so clearly exposed next week. For God's creation start to worship the creation more than the Creator. This is misguided worship. And God's wrath is against those who have messed up worship. Some people say, no, I don't worship. I don't go to church and worship. I'm going to say, yes, you do worship. Everyone worships. Your object of worship may not be the God of the Bible, but you may worship yourself. You may worship His creation more than the Creator. We will see this unfolded so clearly the next couple of weeks, but then we also see this next term, the unrighteousness of men, all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. This is living in a way that violates God's intended order and standard of holiness. So not only have we, has, has unregenerate, depraved man missed out on worshiping God, they've got worship wrong, but they also do acts of ungodliness, unrighteousness. They live in a way that violates God's intended order and standard of holiness. There's some commentators that will take these two words, ungodliness and unrighteousness, and say something like this. Ungodliness highlights man's theological relationship, in other words, a vertical offense to God, and then unrighteousness highlights man's moral reaction. This would be an offense horizontally, I can see there's, there's some credence to that argument, but I would, I would think more than that. Just as in several passages in the Old Testament, these two words go together in what's known as the Septuagint. These two words go together, and what does it prove? It's highlighting the complete and absolute debauchery and depravity of the human nature. The rebellion of against God is true. No ifs, ands, or buts. You can't get around this. Paul, through the Holy Spirit, says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness, I don't want to quickly skip over that, by their unrighteousness, in other words, in accordance with their unrighteousness, their unrighteous behavior and, and consistent with their depraved nature. In other words, they can't choose the right because they are dirty, corrupt from the inside out. They suppress the truth. What's that mean? This is, this is not an unfamiliar term. There's so many illustrations I could give right now of suppressing something. All right, Suppressing the truth means to hold it down to hinder it, to repress it, to stifle it. The truth here is true revelation from God about Himself. 
this revelation, and, and catch this, in the next couple of verses, we're going to see that this particular reference to truth is not necessarily referring to what you have on your lap right now, the Word of God. We know the Word of God is truth. It's called the truth. But in this particular reference, it's not necessarily just referring to the Bible or to Jesus Christ Himself, who is the way, the truth, and the life. This particular reference to truth is what people can see by just looking around them. And what is this? We'll see this next week. You can come to conclusions by just looking around you in the world around you that there is a God and He is really, really powerful. And they suppress this truth. I like what Tom, how Tom Schreiner describes this. The truth that people have unrighteously suppressed and rejected is that one true God should be honored and worshipped and esteemed as God. I mean, we don't want to complicate this. What's happening here? What is the truth that's being suppressed? That there is one God, and we must submit ourselves to this one God. And that concept in our culture is so watered down and washed away. We ignore it and we suppress it. talking about the fact that every single accountable person born into this world has been exposed to the truth that there is a sovereign, powerful God and that this God demands personal submission of His creations. Again, we must remember, we must realize that this suppressing the truth, here's the, here it is, it's, it's a present, it's an active participle. In other words, this, it's indicating that this holding down the truth is not just a one-time deal. It's not like I was born into this world and I just suppressed it one time. No, this is ongoing. The world around us suppresses the truth and suppresses the truth and suppresses the truth and this suppresses the truth. And God reveals himself in his creation and they suppress this truth and they suppress this truth. And every suppression of this truth is an implication against the wrath of God. Again, I would encourage you, don't miss the next three weeks as we interact with Romans 1. We're going to see exactly how this truth is being suppressed. Okay. A rather dark day in Romans. Man, I came to get excited today, Pastor. You know, the Bible says that we are to embrace the entire counsel of God. And I constantly, even through this week, thinking about this and the temptation of a pastor to just make it all happy, happy, happy. But then reminded Paul's words to Timothy, the same sermon that I preached the first time in this pulpit. Actually, as my receiving the call to preach here is this. Paul says to Timothy, preach the word, Timothy. Be instant in season, out of season, rebuke, reprove, rebuke. We have to preach Romans 1.18 because it is in the Word of God. And review what do we see today from Romans 1.18. A righteous God condemns all unrighteous truth suppressors. A righteous God must condemn, is condemning, and will condemn all unrighteous truth suppressors. 
So what? So what? How is this going to change your life this week? No, we're not going to mope all week because we're going to end in just a minute with some really good news. Can't hardly contain myself. I got to get a sneak peek at what's coming in Romans. But nonetheless, this. By faith, we have to ask this question. We have to interact with this question. By faith, have I embraced God's truth about Himself? We cannot create this God, the God that we want in our minds. We have to embrace the God, the Scriptures. And have you done this? Have I embraced the fact that God is a God of wrath who absolutely is outraged at my sin? Not just the sin of really bad kids at my school. God really hates them. Their sin. That one. And you know how it is? Because we're really good at finding someone worse than us to compare ourselves to. That's why the comparison factor is not you, it's not me, it's not the next person down the street, it is a holy God. Young people sitting here today, high school, junior high people here, young adults, all of us alike, we cannot find people that are worse than us and say we're okay. God is outraged by sin, not just the sin of the person sitting across the auditorium from you right now who really needs to hear this. My sin. God hates my sin. Not just the sin of that really bad neighbor down the street who really could use this sermon, Pastor. No, he's outraged with my sin. Not just the sin of that promiscuous co-worker. He's outraged at my sin. On several occasions this week, I have been drawn back to the most what's arguably the most famous sermon in American history, launched the Great Awakening. It was a sermon, as I've referenced back in January, by a servant of God named Jonathan Edwards, who in 1741 in Enfield, Massachusetts, as it were, read a sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And the account is of the fact as he read this sermon in a monologue form, that different ones in the congregation ran to the pillars and held on because they felt like they were to fall into hell. I haven't been able to get that sermon off my mind this week. Reading it, and tears come to my mind. I think about how nonchalant we are about the wrath of God and the holiness of an almighty God. In this particular sermon, Jonathan Edwards, and I'll just read one or two excerpts of this. He says, The wrath of God is like great waters that are restrained from the present or for the present, but they increase more and more and rise higher and higher till an outlet is given. And the longer the stream is stopped, the more rapid and mighty it's, is its course when once it is loosed. The floods of God's vengeance have been withheld, but your guilt in the meantime is constantly increasing. And you are every day treasuring up more wrath 
the waters are constantly rising and waxing more and more mighty, and there's nothing but the mere pleasure of God that holds back the, the waters. If God should only withdraw His hand from the floodgate, it would immediately fly open and the fiery floods of the fierceness of the wrath of God would rush forth in inconceivable fury and would come upon you with omnipotent power. And if your strength were 10,000 times greater than the strength of the stoutest, sturdiest devil in hell, it would be nothing to withstand or endure it. Oh, my friend, by faith have you embraced the fact that the Bible is true when it recognizes this God. This is not the God we want to create, but this is the God as exposed in that book you have on your lap right now. Not only by faith have I embraced what God says about himself, can I ask you this, by faith have you embraced what God says about you? friend, you cannot put your hand, head in the sand and hope this just goes away. You cannot drink this one away. You cannot hide behind. And, and, and if I can say this with all sincerity to the young ones in this room, you cannot hide behind mom and dad. You cannot hide behind grandma and grandpa. You cannot hide behind your husband or wife. You cannot hide behind your pastor or your friend. You must stand face to face with the fact that a God of wrath hates your sin. In another place in his sermon, Jonathan Edwards pleads this. Oh sinner, consider the fearful danger you are in. It is a great furnace of wrath, a, a wide and bottomless pit full of the fire of is the wrath that you are held over in the hand of that God whose wrath is provoked and incensed. You hang by a slender thread with the flames of divine wrath flashing about it and ready every moment to singe it and burn it asunder. And you, are, you have no interest in any mediator and nothing to lay hold of to save yourself. Nothing to keep off the flames of wrath. Nothing of your own. Nothing that you have done. Nothing that you can do to induce God to spare you one moment. Oh friend, this is not a game. We are not as inherently good as our second grade teacher assured us. No, we are sinners in the hands of an angry God. My friends, we need God's mercy. Oh, brothers and sisters, we need the rest of the book of Romans. We need Jesus. We need the good news. And so this leads to the last question that we can leave this morning with this. By faith have I embraced God's truth about Jesus Christ. I love what John the Baptist says about Jesus in John 3.36, here it is, whoever believes in the Son has everlasting life, but whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God 
abides on him. Friends, we need Jesus. The beauty of this entire discussion comes down to the beautiful theological word, and here's the word. I'm going to throw it out there. We're, we're going to come back to it in a couple, well, probably a month. It is this word, propitiation. What did you just say? <laughs> propitiation. Friends love the word propitiation. Embrace it. Write it down. Talk of it regularly. Go tell your two-year-old about propitiation. Love this word. Meditate on this word because what is this word? It is the satisfaction of God's wrath. It is God's almighty wrath being satisfied and the only way it can be satisfied is through the person and work of Jesus Christ. We find this word in Romans chapter 3, verses 23 through 26. And here's what Paul says through the Spirit. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are being justified or declared righteous by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And here's what he says about Jesus who God put forward as a propitiation by His blood, a satisfaction and appeasement of His divine wrath to be received by faith. Takes us right back to what we read last week. This propitiation is not earned by anything you can do. It's not earned by how many stars you got in Sunday school, how many flags you got at VBS. It is only received as a gift from God by faith in Jesus Christ. So friends, today, will you repent from your sin and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone? Would you call on Jesus to save your soul? Why? For the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. But praise God for a Savior who completely satisfies that wrath. Questioning friend, would you come to Jesus as your Savior today? Maybe there's some of you in this room that over the last couple months been wrestling with this. I'm going to tell you something. God Almighty is drawing you to Himself. He's drawing you. Would you respond in faith to Jesus Christ this very day? There are some in this room that, that when you were young or at some point in your life, you have come to Jesus simply as fire insurance, a notch to satisfy a fear in your heart. But if you have not come to Jesus Christ in repentant faith, would you come to Jesus Christ this very day? Fellow brother and sister in Christ who have come to Jesus in saving faith, would you more passionately love this Savior this week 
and live out this repentance today. And then would you let the lion of the gospel out this week in Redding, California? Why? Because the wrath of God is revealed against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. But God, who is rich in mercy, as Paul says in Ephesians, for his great love wherewith we, he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, he has quickened us together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So God, I pray that this would ring true in our hearts this week. Oh, I pray right now, God, that if there is anyone here at Cross Point Community Church who has not given their life to Jesus Christ, that this very day would be the day that they come to you in saving faith. From young to old, I pray this. I pray, God, that if there are ones listening online right now, that they would fall to their knees in repentant faith to you. Oh, God, I pray that if there are those listening on the radio right now, that they would pull over their car and come to you in saving faith. This is not a game we play. We are interacting with your holiness and your righteousness and your justice. I pray today, Father, that we would be overwhelmed with your grace. This gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. My friends here today, Maybe some of this made sense, but not all of it. If I could assure you of this, that it is not a mistake that you are here today. Maybe those tuning in on the radio or logging in online, it is not a mistake that you have listened to even portions of this sermon today. Maybe God Almighty has been pulling on your heartstrings to receive him by faith, and would this be the day? I'm going to invite some chaplains and prayer warriors here at the church, even some elders. Make yourself present at the end of the service. There'll be elders in the back and in the front, but chaplains, would you come to the front? There may be some that are working through this in your mind right now. There's young ones here that have heard about this Jesus. Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ today. You may need to go to home this afternoon and get on your knees and wrestle with Almighty God about this repentant faith. But as Paul says to this jailer, in Acts 16. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be rescued. Be, today be the day when you are rescued by faith. Chaplains, would you come? I'm not going to belabor this, but if God is pulling on your hearts, would you come right now and talk to someone further about your, your eternal destiny? They will remain here through the end of the service. They would lead you and pray for your soul. But ultimately, it's going to come down to you calling on Jesus Christ to save your soul.
brothers and sisters in Christ. What I'm talking about is those who have come to Jesus Christ in saving faith. Would you pray with me right now that God would give you a new dose of reality to the holiness of an almighty God. We have been saved not to dabble with the sin of this world, but to walk in newness of life. Would you pray God's almighty grace to sustain you this week, to battle this flesh, to live for Jesus, to shine as a bright light, to walk in newness of life. God, we thank you for the passage we can interact with this morning. What a powerful text of scripture. Please, 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 oh God, do not let this leave our minds quickly. Let this consume our thoughts this very day, this week, the rest of our lives. Lastly, Father, oh God, I want to thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ his shed blood on the cross on our behalf. This, the substitute Jesus who went to the cross for me. Thank you. Let us live this week for this Savior, we pray. In Jesus' name. Thank you for your attentiveness today. I pray and I will continue to pray that God does not let these truths that we talked of this morning leave your mind quickly. Meditate on these truths. But my friends, today as we interact with the bad news, find yourself this week meditating on the good news of Jesus Christ. That he came to save a wretched sinner like me, like you. He loves you through the cross. There are some here that are going to be wrestling through this with this week, today even. Don't ignore God's call. Do not. Come to Him. Come to Him in faith.